0: Hello everyone, 7investing CEO Simon Erickson here, and thank you for listening to the 7investing podcast. Our podcast is made possible by our subscribers, who allow us to empower you to invest in your future each and every month. In exchange, we give our subscribers exclusive access to our monthly stock market recommendations from each of our lead advisors. To support this podcast and join other 7investing fans in our exclusive subscribers forum where we discuss the latest market moves in real time. Go to 7investing.com slash subscribe to subscribe to 7investing today. We're here to empower you to invest in your future. We are 7investing.
1: Welcome to the 7investing podcast. I'm JT Street, and I am here today with two of our lead advisors here at 7investing. Of course, it is the first of the month, 1st of June, 2023. And we've got some brand new stock market recommendations for everybody this month, including one that we are going to be talking about here publicly for the first time, which is pretty exciting. So with that, let me introduce our two speakers. First, our founder and CEO, Simon Erickson. Simon, good morning. How are you today?
0: Good morning, JT. I do always love the first of the month. There's a the hustle and bustle of us publishing the new recommendations and just the excitement of seeing the new picks—it's always kind of the, the, my favorite type of the time of the month is the first here.
1: I, I run the the Discord server here at Seven Investing as well, and the first of the month is absolutely wild in there on our on our community forum. You've got people who have followed some of these stocks, really excited to see their their company re-recommended with some new insights. You've got folks who are checking these things out for the first time, asking questions. Subscribers who have been on for a while, I see some of you all in here, you know, talking back and forth about the the new opportunities. So yeah, the the energy level in the boards is is really exciting. Whenever the first of the month rolls around, I see another one of our lead advisors, Luke Hillard, has just showed up. Luke, good to see you. Of course, if you want to join us as a speaker, send us a request and we'll get you in. As we talk about our stock picks for June, again, we are recording this live on Spaces, on Twitter, for those of us who are listening to the podcast later on. So let me go ahead and bring Steve into the chat. Steve, what's the the first of the month like for you, whenever you drop a new recommendation? (laughs) Uh, Lots
2: of coffee. I'm usually up late on the 30th or 31st or 28th, depending on the month, making sure that everything is going to run smoothly on the first. But yeah, everything, updates table-wise and all that good stuff. We just add seven recommendations to our scorecard every month and and detailed reports and it's exciting but i mean yes a lot of work behind the scenes for me on on the day before
1: yeah a lot of a lot of work getting those things in for people who are, are just figuring out what seven investing is who are who are maybe just finding the podcast for the first time what we do is we empower you to invest in your future by going through each month and i say we i'm just the marketing guy steve simon and the rest luke and the rest of the lead advisors they they pour a lot of sweat equity each month into diving through with the stock market and finding the best opportunities for our subscribers we talk about them a lot here on the podcast and those get distilled into our seven top stock recommendations each month for our subscribers. Of course, as subscribers, you are supporting the 7 Investing Podcast with your monthly or annual subscriptions. And we thank you so much for doing that. But our way to make that value to our subscribers each month is to find the best opportunities in the stock market and deliver pound for pound, the the most robust recommendations in the industry as our, as our monthly reports. And these are reports that Steve and Simon and Luke have been writing every month since they've become advisors for us, and, and they are detailed. And one of the things I wanted to talk to Steve a little bit about is, you know, there are companies that you recommend, and then there are companies that we re-recommend over time. This is a chance for you to blow the dust off that company, look into it, make sure nothing's changed on the investing thesis. But it also in a way is a chance for you to go back over time and see how things have changed with the company. And with this month's recommendations, you've had a chance to do that with a company that we have all gotten to know over the years because you have recommended it now five
0: times.
1: Mm -hmm. Before we disclose the name of the company, which we are going to do for the first time here, which is really exciting. We're going to disclose it and talk about it. And those of you who are, you know, listening <laughs> in spaces probably know the big surprise, but before we do that, what is it like to recommend a company and look through it that many times? Do you get more comfortable with it? Do you, you know, do you get more worried because you've recommended it so many times? You're like, Oh yeah. Do I need to go back to the well here? What What are your thought process as you, as you, you know, Look at another company and say, "No, this really is
2: it." Well, I think the biggest thing is is trying to avoid seeking that sort of confirmation bias. It's like, well, if you know, doubling down and 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 sunken cost fallacy, right? It's like I've already put so much time into this. Do I, you know, do I abandon it when it's down? And uh, you know, I, often for me, it just comes down to how we pick stocks in the first place. And and one of the biggest things, one of our Seven investing principles here is that we define a concrete thesis for the company, and that's something I did when I first recommended this company a couple of years ago. And uh, the big thing is is to is to check in. You know, assuming you grab the stock at a reasonable valuation, you know, early on, to check in and, and ensure that the thesis that you've built an impartial, unemotional thesis is still intact. And and you know, in in this case. It's one of those theses that has has not only remained intact, but continually gotten stronger as the companies continue to execute and expand its reach. And it's just something where it just became silly to me, you know. Particularly a couple of months ago, when I'm looking at the company and where it's trading, and saying this is this is just bonkers. The, the business is so strong, and eventually, the market will have no choice but to recognize the underlying strength of this business. And sometimes it just takes just a little bit of a, uh, a match to light the fire and, and get people to notice, like take away one potential headwind. And in this case, we're talking about SoFi, right? Just uh, the last couple of weeks, we've seen basically certainty finally added to the, the, the moratorium on student loan repayments, which is, you know, it's, that's, that used to be SoFi's core business. It, it used to be the majority of the money they made, and that's sort of their genesis was as a student loan refinancer. But since the pandemic it's operated because of the, the moratorium on student loan repayments, which basically removes any catalyst for consumers to refinance their student loans at a more attractive rate with SoFi than they could get with the government. Because of that moratorium... Their student loan refinancing businesses operated about twenty five percent of pre covid levels for the past couple of years and few years, and now, which is weird to say you know you got these eight extensions to the student loan moratorium, but that debt repayment deal was finally the catalyst for well you know one side of the the aisle on Congress said hey part of part of what we want as a concession here is to to add some finality and say this is the last extension." following June 30th, I think 60 days after that, or as soon as the Supreme Court resolves some challenges to the Biden administration's student loan forgiveness plan, then the repayments will, for sure, resume. So at this point, it's icing on the cake for SoFi, which is wonderful, and that's kind of well. Now I've I've devolved into a SoFi discussion, but more broadly, I'm watching the thesis remain intact, and the business only got stronger in the meantime. And and that's that's kind of the thought process as I go through and and look at potential re-recommendations. And this month, SoFi bubbled to the top yet again for me.
1: Yeah, and let's let's talk about that a little bit, Steve. Uh, again, as as we are announcing now. SoFi is the stock we've been talking about. Five-time now recommendation here at 7investing. Certainly something that, that Steve has followed and, <clears throat> you know, has... I think only Anthony Noto has has purchased SoFi more shares more times than Steve <laughs> at this point. But that's the CEO of SoFi for those who aren't as as in deep on the company following along as we are. I want to talk a little bit about the recommendation report because you do kind of get into it the The start of all of our recommendation reports for people who aren't subscribers to seven investing, we start with a key takeaway and that that kind of is what Steve was just talking about a moment ago you know, the the moratorium on on student loan repayments at card, part of the the bill i mean this is this is breaking news stuff right we are We just saw that pass the house last night. This is something that Steve has been watching for years now that somebody who's followed so far along closely and so if you go into the report you'll be able to see that right away as our key takeaway. And this month you will be able to get into the report, whether you are a subscriber or not, because we are giving this entire report away for everyone. We are making it publicly available. You can go to 7investing.com right now and download it for free. You just give us your email address. We'll send you a downloadable link. You can download the report. You can do that right now and follow along with us as you listen to this podcast it's real easy to do a couple of clicks. We'll send it your way. No obligation. You don't have to buy anything. This is just something that as, as we have recommended this stock now five times, we feel like it's it's the right time to give this report away and show everyone kind of a peek behind the curtain of what we do here at Seven Thing and say, you know, look at our research, look at the work we've put into this and, you know, talk to us about it. Let us know what you think. So, We're opening that discussion away for you guys as subscribers or as people who are considering subscribing, maybe on the fence. Come on in, kick the tires, let us know what you think. Also, I would be remiss to say that if I didn't say that right now we are also running a special where you can come in and join our premium service, Seven Investing Premium, which is seven stock picks a month access to all of our previous historical stock picks from the time that we started as a company. And you can get all of that for seven days for a dollar. So when you go to 7 slash subscribe, you go to the premium section, you'll be able to get a dollar trial for that for a week. So full recommendation for free, $1 to subscribe to 7investing. It's it's kind of our, our, our way to say, get in here, come and have this discussion with us about SoFi, about all of our great stocks. And and we feel confident now after you know recommending this that that this is a a place where we want to have that discussion. So that's my my pitch on on seven investing. Come on in. I'm gonna take off the marketing guy hat here for a second and and go back to Steve while we talk about SoFi a little bit more in detail for people who haven't recommended SoFi five times, Steve, and are maybe just you know tuning into this. For the first time, you've you've had to write the "What does SoFi do?" five times now. What does SoFi do? Tell us, tell us about it. Give us the the sixty second breakdown for people who who aren't familiar with the product. So they started out as a way to help people pay off college,
2: right? It was actually, I think, a, a like a alumni funded model to to repay student loans, basically like a borrowing model. It was, yeah, it, it, it's been. Quite the interesting ride because they're founded, what was it, just 12 years ago, and it stands for social finance, but they've kind of evolved into this mobile-first personal finance company, and they have this f- comprehensive suite of financial products, so everything from checking and savings now, high-yield checking and savings, I think it's like 4.2% it yields. To student loans, home loans, credit cards, personal loans. Personal loans are the big driver, and that's been some of the the source of angst for analysts who are watching this company of late. Also, brokerage accounts. They launched SoFi Travel recently, which was kind of their first non-money product so kind of the first signs that they're looking to expand their reach even beyond finance. But they call it their financial services productivity loop. And and what happens is people join, maybe with a personal loan or they have a checking account and and it becomes very easy to cross sell them. And SoFi does this so well through their mobile interface. And they have this wonderfully vertically integrated model where they also own, you know, that that's their lending product segment. And their financial services segments, those are sort of all the the invest products, the cash products, the lending products. But kind of underneath it all is what they call their technology platform segments. So they made a couple big acquisitions, billion plus each, in the last few years. One of Galileo, which is a banking infrastructure technology platform, and one of a company called Technisys, which is a cloud-native banking platform. And they are combining these two platforms to basically build what they're calling the sort of the AWS of of financial services and and fintech and the AWS of banking and so other companies can actually use their technology platform segment to launch their own banking services but in the meantime sofi is transitioning its own products which used to be on different technology stacks to technesis and galileo and further improving basically the synergies of, of owning these platforms itself. And it's wonderful that you know, because of this and because of the fact that they were granted a national banking charter a couple of years ago, which is different by the way than a lot of, a lot of fintechs do by either not pursuing a banking charter or pursuing a like a regional banking charter they went the hard way they got a national banking charter provides fantastic cost of funding synergies and lowers kind of the 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 cost of, of lending for them and helps kind of further spur their profitability but one of the most exciting things is is looking at sofi they said they expect to actually achieve gap profitability on a consolidated basis so based on generally accepted accounting principles they expect to be profitable by the fourth quarter and that's sort of drastically different than a lot of the, you know, a lot of the software as a service stocks, a lot of yet to be profitable tech stocks out there will scale unprofitably and then focus on profits later and SoFi is able to achieve you know, they say by the end of the year, they should achieve sustained profitability. And and that that will be something that will be looked kindly upon by the market. A self-sustaining business that can actually self-fund with its own cash flows with gap profitability. So kinda another piece of icing on the cake, you know, and that's before, you know, keeping in mind their guidance actually assumes no incremental improvement in the student loan business. And I think that's part of the reason shares have rallied hard over the last few weeks is that we have some finality to the end of that moratorium. So it should only further spur their path to profitability, but yeah, that's kind of in a nutshell what they do and where they're headed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, you probably, I think brought up one of the, if not the key risk, I mean, each one of our reports details the key risk section and for sofi that's changed a little bit over yes. time after you know writing this time and time again but i think i think the word is banks right i mean banking crisis i think is trending on twitter because it's a day that ends in y these uh-huh, days yes. you know it, it's something that's on everyone's mind and and clearly if sofi isn't directly in the path of the boulder coming down the the temple you know, it's it's near enough to be collateral damage. So so, what would you say to someone who says, you know, I'm not touching anything financial with a 10-foot pole <laughs> right now in, in this market of bank failures and, and people taking unsecured right. loans? And that
2: was sort of the the big fear. And, uh, you know, it's funny. There was a, a member on our Discord who was asking me, and our members only section on the SoFi board, he was saying, hey, why is SoFi down 32%? you know in the last like couple of weeks what is going on and a big you know that that the sort of I called it the banking elephant in the room right it's like the the big angry risk sitting in the corner i added a section to my new report on sofi on the recent bank failures and it's the concern over systemic bank failures was you know was very real i was actually talking to a banker here in missoula montana and he said during the silicon valley bank and the first republic failures they actually had a dozen or so people walk into the bank you know who had between five hundred thousand and a million and a half in their bank account and they demanded it all in cash right now and they were terrified of losing money and if you can imagine people are that terrified of losing money in their bank you know how much more terrified they'd be to actually buy a fintech banking stock (laughs) in the process because nobody saw, I mean, people saw, some people saw Silicon Valley bank happening, but you know, those, the reasons they failed are different, but similar, right? So Silicon Valley bank, In its case, it used this massive hold to maturity bond portfolio to buy mostly treasury bonds and long-term debts. And and as interest rates climbed and inflation soared, and investors were able to buy bonds at higher rates, the value of their bonds plunged. And then they had kind of a run, large withdrawals from many of their customers that are big tech-centric customers that are cash hungry. It's sort of this terrible spiral that sent Silicon Valley Bank, you know, basically under. And and then First Republics was a little bit different. They had this huge book of mortgages and rising interest rates, you know, kind of crushed the value of the, the mortgage portfolio that they had and they they failed after a massive, you know, I think they lost 100 billion in deposits in the first quarter alone. So First Republic got crushed by that, but SoFi, that raises a question. It's like what could cause SoFi to to face a similar fate. And I think the the big concern that popped up was the fact that a lot of their lend the majority of their lending business right now is driven by issuing unsecured personal loans, right? And uh, they're generally seen as very risky. Putting aside the fact that SoFi focuses on high credit score, high income Borrowers and stubbornly refuses to lower those rates, so they're not catering to subprime borrowers. They're not catering to people who absolutely need it. There, you know, the, the, in this case, it was actually a lot of their their a lot of what they're seeing, in, as far as demand goes on the personal lending side, was just personal loans issued to consolidate debt at a more attractive rate. And their SOFI had been telling analysts for the past few quarters that with the national banking charter and with a massive influx of deposits, kind of bolstering their balance sheet. They can use that to kind of enjoy the luxury of holding some of these loans on their balance sheet longer than they usually would and maximizing their interest income in the process. But when they did exactly that, and I'll say, whoa, wait, you didn't set make any whole loan sales last quarter. Why? And they said, well, we've been telling you <laughs> this is what we're going to do. And But the a lot of people think they're reading between the lines by saying that oh my gosh, SoFi didn't make any whole loan sales last quarter. So that must mean the market for whole loan sales and the market for personal loans and securitizing them in packages and selling them off is weak. And oh my God, we're scared. All of a sudden they're they're fearing that SoFi is going to see some massive fair value adjustment once they realize the loans on their balance sheet aren't as valuable as they thought they were or that they've been saying they were. So that's the fear, right? And if that happens, then they're worrying that people would have, you know, SoFi would endure a similar bank bank run on the bank or massive write-downs, I don't see that happening, honestly. And I think what we might see next quarter when SoFi releases, what is it, August, early August usually, is they might sell sort of demonstratively, demonstrative? How do you put the emphasis on the right syllable (laughs) there? I think they might actually sell some of their, their personal loans again, just kind of moving them off the balance sheet to demonstrate that the market is strong. It seems like a silly thing to do, but it would put analysts at ease but that's that's yeah. the big risk and that's what people are kind of fearing with the banking contagion that's that's the issue at the moment
1: and if you want more color on that steve does go into that in more detail in the sofi report for this month he's also written about that extensively in some of our our writings for subscribers which as a subscriber we also you also get access to those each of our advisors does company updates routinely on the stocks that they recommend you're you're able to get access to really all of those that we've published over our history. If you join at 7 com slash subscribe, you can join anytime. And right now, if you join our premium services, you get those for just a dollar for your first week. I, I want to go into the rest of our recommendations for June briefly, but before we leave the SoFi discussion, you had mentioned we were talking about this in the forum and, and one of our, our subscribers had said, yeah, its stock is down 32%. I think that was... May 14th or 15th, like right at the bottom. <laughs> right. right. And then like now, yeah. now it's back up to where it was before it dropped that 32%. Right. Of course, the day that, that you recommend it. You know, I let's let's talk valuation because there is a whole section and we're not gonna we're not gonna go through the whole section. Mm-hmm. People can download the report. You go to com. you can download the report for that. But I did want to think and discuss that briefly with you. Steve where you know when you look at where the stock has been historically over the last 5 years where it is now it's kind of been bouncing back and forth between 4 and 8 right you know here here and there recommending it here at the, at the 7 plus range as it has a nice little you know, kind of flat day today you know what should investors be looking for here you know that that really is the question right right? so uh, is it something where i mean we do call it a high risk stock for a reason but let's talk valuation for a a bit and and say are you concerned about it going back to four um as this kind of exuberance over the the debt deal i mean first we'd be lying if we said that
2: wasn't possible right and it's this market has been kind of wacky but i've said for a long time that sofi's share price has not reflected the strength of its underlying business and i continue to believe that even after a pretty hefty pop in recent weeks i mean they went public in 2020 i think their post-money valuation was just under nine billion it was like 8.7 billion i mean their market cap today is around six and a half and that's after a 32 percent pop in the past week and a half and it's, I mean, it's still near its lowest valuation since the SPAC merger was completed. And that, put aside the fact that it was a SPAC, put aside that it was, you know, Chamath Palapagatia SPAC for anyone who might be biased against it, regardless of, of the strength and promise of the business. I'm looking at the long term promise of where SoFi wants to go and where it wants to be, right? And I'm looking at the size of the business and assuming they keep dilution under control, which is, has been very, very encouraging by the way. They've actually dilution has significantly decelerated on the heels of their SPAC and, and some of those RSUs aren't getting issued quite as quickly. The restricted chair units is what i'm referred to there. But the the SoFi, Anthony Noto, CEO of SoFi, has said repeatedly that his goal is to ensure that SoFi becomes the top 10 financial institution in the United States. How long that'll take, I don't know exactly, but I do know that when they first got their banking charter, that they were, I think, 446th, largest by consolidated assets, the banks in the US. I think as of last quarter, they were like 116th that they're, they've kind of marched toward that goal and they're, they're gaining deposits rapidly. And, and I, I think one of the things that we need to keep in mind is yes, in some cases, you know, swelling deposits and rapid growth can be a red flag as they were in like Silicon Valley bank where they were doing unwise things with their, their hold of maturity bond portfolio, which by the way, SoFi's hold of maturity bond portfolio was tiny. That's not an issue for them, but I, I think it, it's instructive to look at where sofi wants to be and uh, you know with four largest banks in the us controlling half of the 500 million bank accounts or how many were there yeah they, they control yeah consumers have 500 million bank accounts in the country top no. 10 banks control around half of those and uh, sofi is taking them rapidly you know as you see an outflux of deposits with so many banks they're shifting into SoFi. And people are realizing that, hey, here's a bank that does everything really, really well under a single interface. And how many of you even listening now can say, yeah, I have three or four banks. You know, I have one for my checking and savings and I have some CDs over here and I have a brokerage account at these two places. And have my insurance over here. And, and, you know, I, it's, it's one of those things, you know, oh, i have a personal loan at this bank because they gave me the best rates. What if, you know, you have a, a bank that does so, you know, does everything really, really well. And I think people have realized that SoFi is that institution. And I think that they will only continue higher. So we're looking at a market cap today that's sitting around, what is it? Six billion, six and a half billion, you know, lower than they went public. And you know some of the largest banks, Wells goes around 150 billion dollars. You know, assuming we don't have massive dilution that basically, you know, reduces the slice of the pie for today's shareholders between now and the next five to ten years, I think we'll be looking at an organization that could easily rival the size of the top ten financial institutions in the U.S. and, and be part of that constituency. So, uh, well, yeah, think- blue sky opportunity for SoFi. No sense of slowing right now.
1: Yeah. And, and to, to put a finer point on it in the, in the report, you mentioned where SoFi's price is compared to its price to tangible book value mm-hmm. in that chart. And it's, it's kind of mind boggling to me. I mean, is that really accurate? Is it, is it trading at like,
2: well, it's, it's, it, it's, it's like two X right now, you know, it's, yeah. but it's, it's being valued like an old school bank. And, uh, and that what one of the things that's really interesting, you know, people say, oh, SoFi shouldn't be, shouldn't be valued like a, a fintech, high-growth fintech stock. It should be valued like a bank. And I would counter that it is valued like a bank. And I would also counter <laughs> that it shouldn't be. You know, it should and it shouldn't, right? Because that completely discounts the fact that they own the underlying infrastructure for these banking-as-a-service platforms. And part of the problem with today's largest financial institutions is they can pour billions and billions and billions of dollars into modernizing their technology stacks but they're also loath to disrupt what is has already worked and they are not built on those digital substrates. And SoFi is and was and always will be kind of built from the ground up with that in mind. And I think that's a key advantage that a lot of people don't fully appreciate.
1: Yeah. Welcome for those of you who are just joining us. We are wrapping up our discussion on SoFi, one of our top seven stock market recommendations for June. It is... Kind of a fintech darling. That's why we've created a report for it under 7 slash fintech. So if you want to get the SoFi report, we are giving that away for free this month. It is one of our seven stock market recommendations for June. It's one of the seven that our, our our subscribers and members get. We are saying we want everyone to get a chance to see that, to look through a full report, all the work that Steve has done on this now five times as he's recommended the SoFi five times, and you know, kick the tires and see. So that's slash fintech Just give us your email address. We'll send you the report. You can look through it and, and go from there. So, as as I mentioned, that is SoFi is one of the seven stocks we have recommended for June. And I want to bring Simon in here to one give Steve a chance to breathe because that was a lot. Thank you, Steve. And and two, to to go through just overall as a company, you know, when you hear Steve talk about SoFi, I mean, clearly he's put a lot of work into this, a lot of research into this over the years, but that's just one seventh of what our team does each month to prepare our listeners, our subscribers to invest in their futures. So Simon, let's go through briefly what the other advisors are looking at for June.
0: Yeah, absolutely, JT. I'll jump into the top stocks that we have for June here in a a second, but I did want to touch on SoFi just for a couple more reasons. First of all, like you mentioned, Steve knows this like the back of his hand. He knows this company so well. He's been patting the table on it for so long. And I think it's really interesting for us to talk about right now because it's got direct exposure to the U.S. economy right? In in so many ways, SoFi is the bellwether of how the economy is going out there. What's the investing climate like for investors out there? And SoFi, you, you see this, you know, it's got so much exposure to not only the deposits that it's growing quickly, but also the type of lending that it's doing out there. Steve mentioned that, you know, a lot of the business's focus right now is on personal loans. You can go on SoFi's site and immediately apply and get approved for up to a hundred thousand dollars at around, you know, 9% or so interest rates starting at around 9%. And it just shows, you know, people are bringing their money to SoFi, they're putting deposits into the platform, and then they're, they're, they're loaning those, those assets out to people who want to borrow too. And so it's really interesting to see right now, because this couples with some other financial advisor events that I've been to in the last quarter, and it just has kind of shown that the economy is turning from what we have seen in 2022, I mean, how many people on this spaces or or podcast that we're filming right now, remember back in 2022, the sell-off of the market, there was kind of a lot of fear in the streets. People were parking their money in cash. Nobody wanted to see the the volatility of the markets. And so what did we see Well, we saw $5 trillion in American assets just in money market funds or cash or these very, very short-term instruments to park your money where it was safe? And then on top of that, we saw the whole Silicon Valley bank thing. We saw the contagion risks of all the other smaller regional banks. There was just a lot of hesitance to put any kind of money to work into the market. And we saw the fund flows reflect that. We saw a lot of, like we said, capital going into CDs. You know, A lot of people are excited about 4% interest rates on these short-term vehicles that are available. And I think that's starting to change. We're starting to see in 2022, it really didn't matter if you reported good earnings. In the stock market, just how many times do we see the same story of company goes out there, they crush it on earnings, they blow right by quarterly estimates for revenue and and for earnings, but then they they issued a hesitant guidance, right? They were real conservative in the guidance and the stocks would get completely pummeled, right? Steve, we would see stocks down 20, 25% or more just on bad guidance for the upcoming quarter the upcoming year because they didn't know what was going to happen in the bigger macro that was going on out there
2: right and and that it was maddening to watch sometimes because you're like that was a fantastic yeah. quarter, and it 's hard to blame companies for <laughs> under promising with the intention of over delivering but when you when you do that it it tends to kind of spark an immediate consequences as, as far as sort of the algo traders and it 's funny because you 'd see these stocks drop twenty percent in a matter of seconds when the release hit the wire, which kind of indicates, you know, obviously not a retail investor sentiment thing, but this is Wall Street moving money around kind of thing. And and with with so much money on the sidelines and people are so kind of averse to potentially conservative guidance that, you know, I, I think that's part of the reason that it's, it's worthwhile to... to kind of ease into positions especially of late and and that's part of the reason you know if you if you don't own a stock and you want to build a position you know about how much money how many percent that you want that stock to comprise of your overall portfolio you know I've taken a lot of time to just build positions in quarters or thirds over the course of several months and you know that that sort of Gets rid of some of the risk, you know. If it does rise, you at least participate somewhat, and if it falls hard, you have a chance to add at lower prices. But yeah, it was it was a maddening environment, you know, to kind of watch and you know, companies get punished for perfectly suitable, acceptable results.
0: Yeah, and when you've got you know five trillion dollars of assets on the sidelines, coupled with the bar being very low because of very conservative guidance, we're suddenly now starting to see the point of inflection where the pendulum swings the other way, right? Companies are actually being rewarded for good earnings this year. Compared to 2022's guidance, compared to you their know, first or second quarter 2022 guidance, which was very conservative for the upcoming year, we're now seeing the market reward the companies who are outperforming their own conservative guidance. And, and what was the poster child of this? It was NVIDIA. NVIDIA just came out recently. And if anyone who's followed NVIDIA stock, this has kind of become the poster child. For AI, you know, there's a lot of headlines swirling around about NVIDIA out there, but they also just said that they're going to have a second quarter revenue guidance of $11 billion, which is a 64% increase year over year. And for NVIDIA to come out and say, this is, this is not just polish, you know, where we're going out, we're looking pretty because we're going to ride the coattails of AI, which everyone's excited about. They're actually putting their money where their mouth is and saying, we're going to guide for $11 billion. It's the strongest quarter they've ever had in the history of the company. And you certainly are seeing the popularity of GPT and Bard and all these other large language models behind that there's processors, there's GPUs that are going into cloud data providers that are going to need to do the computing to support AI. And NVIDIA came out with a very, very strong guidance. I think a lot of people are very excited about that. You certainly saw Nvidia's stock increase, but it has also kind of given the market the, the acceptance of good, of good guidance out there. Again, it's okay to invest in companies that are showing strength again. Lesser-known company is Viva Systems. You know, Viva is not as exposed to AI. This is a healthcare company that's making drug makers more efficient. But just today, the stock is up 17% because of a beat on both earnings and on revenue. And I think we're going to see more and more of those again. The market is rewarding good results. And for stock pickers like Steve and myself and Luke and all of the other advisors here at 7investing, this is very exciting because it it kind of rewards the, the, the work and the, the diligent effort at the thorough research of finding the companies that did have a conservative guidance in 2022, but still fantastic businesses with fantastic business models that the market's now giving a little bit of love to. And so I'm pretty excited about that, JT, as the kind of a backdrop of, you know, our, our new recommendations here just came out in June. I'm I'm, I'm super stoked about this, this list of seven companies. We just talked about SoFi that Steve mentioned, and then we talked about for a little while there, but We've got six others that I think are just as strong. This is one of the strongest batches of companies we've ever made for 7investing. Yeah. If you want to see all
1: of them right now, you can go to 7 slash subscribe, and you can see SoFi, all of that, and the other six companies for $1 if you subscribe for our week trial, our one-week trial. And you'll be able to get all seven companies, really look through them. And and honestly, you, you say that the turnaround is strengthening you know, these positions, it's, it's also strengthening our, I guess, our, your, your refrigerator. I've been looking through our Twitter account. And for those who don't know, whenever one of our recommendations doubles up, Simon will reward the advisor with, you know, a six pack or a bottle of wine or or it's their beverage of choice. And I have been following those on Twitter and it seems like every couple of days now we're getting one, uh, you know, have F- it's, it's wild to me to, to see these start to pop up and double up again after, after 2022, where we, we did not buy a lot of booze for the team. So it's great to see that start to happen again too.
0: Yeah. It's neat JT. And, you know, to, you know, we like to market seven investing. We like to have kind of a marketing spiel too, but, but some objective numbers, because I think marketing is kind of selling the value of your service. We have had thir- thirty three seven investing recommendations that have at least doubled since the time that we recommended them at some point right all of them didn't stay at that level but we've had 33 of them and like you said it's kind of a fun little program to announce all of those on twitter but then here more recently this is actually another number that I'm very proud of which is that every monthly cohort of picks that we've made in 2023 so from January to February and March all the way to May's recommendations Every single one of our monthly cohorts is outperforming the S&P 500 over the same period of time. We've had every single month that the consolidated seven picks have outperformed the broader market. And in fact, within each one of those cohorts, we've had at least one recommendation rise 40% or more in absolute returns. And so, you know, we, we saw kind of a great opportunity to go out and buy, buy some stocks. We didn't just go with the comfortable you know, lower risk companies, even through this downturn. And it's kind of rewarding and exciting to see a lot of these, these companies, especially some of the higher risk ones with some of the cyclical names really getting the deserved love from the market right now.
2: And I, I'm going to, I'm going to spoil it just a little bit and not, not spoil that to that value proposition kind of pitch, but I'm, I'm going to spoil something for people who haven't looked at our scorecard. And, and I'll mention that NVIDIA is, is one of those businesses uh, and, and really, <sighs> it it underscores the nature of kind of a buy and hold and being patient with businesses whose theses aren't broken, you know, who've been beaten down by providing conservative guidance and then coming back to crush it. Luke Callard's report on that. I know I'm spoiling that for people who haven't seen our scorecard a little bit, but I encourage you to go, go read that, join our trial, take a look at that one as well as the SoFi report, because that's one of those doubles. And it's one of those businesses that he took a lot of flack for recommending because people are like, oh, NVIDIA is so overvalued. And it's one of those businesses that over the years proves that it can grow into that valuation. And I feel a little bit like a hipster myself, you know, talking about NVIDIA. It's like writing about AI before it was cool. I found an article where I was writing about NVIDIA's AI ambitions back in 2013. And people are like, oh, NVIDIA is just writing the AI wave. I'd say, I would counter that NVIDIA, for one, is the AI wave. They're one of the, the companies that has spurred it. And is rightly benefiting from it now. And this, is, this has been a decade plus in the making for businesses like that, and those are the kinds of companies that we tend to recommend. Our businesses that you know we're looking several years ahead of time, and sometimes we see some pretty gnarly. Volatility in the meantime, where the share prices of the companies we recommend might fall pretty hard, but they tend, assuming the thesis remains intact and the business continues to march forward, to rebound a lot harder than they fell before. And so, I mean, high beta, a lot of the businesses, Simon and I were just talking about this on Slack yesterday. The, we we have a very volatile scorecard, but for people that you know can buy these recommendations, add to them as we do, and, and then you know that's another thing we haven't even talked about. We have a portfolio section, 7 forward slash seveninvesting.com forward slash portfolio. You can check out all of our best buy portfolios, where we actually pick from all of our existing recommendations, and we say these are the best buys according to our analyst team right now, and we add them to a portfolio for tracking every quarter and we track the results of that. So, you know, sometimes we'll get stocks on a regular scorecard that are beaten down hard, but we say, you know what, this is the best buy. I think we should add to it. And we track the performance of those in real time too. So we're all about accountability. You know, we watch our performance pretty closely, not too closely because we don't want to drive ourselves crazy because we trust over the long term that it will fall into the line and, and we will continue beating the market. But I mean, check it out, and the, the, that's just kind of a, a taste of of what we do.
1: There is there is something I wanted to add to that, Steve. You know, for people who may not have the the acids to stomach too much volatility in the market, we we do put a risk level on each one of our recommendations each month, and they're not always high risk or very risk. Obviously, some risk is involved in every, in every stock purchase you make but even in june where you know we we do see a bit more swinging for the fences with i think 3 out of our 7 are very high risk right now but we do have two moderate risk ones as well we've got mega cap large cap all the way down to small cap so to, no matter what company size you like to invest in for your portfolio, no matter your preferred risk level, no matter your industry, we've got everything from biotech to semiconductors, energy. I think we have multiple energy picks this month, financial services, retail. It, it really runs the gamut. So if you want kind of a, a stock buffet of of research before you make your next trade, come on in and, and see our new recommendations should be pretty exciting. And and again, right now you can go to seveninvesting.com and subscribe, seveninvesting.com slash subscribe and get those for a dollar for your first week when you sign up for our premium service. Simon, do you want to go through anything else in our, our June recommendations, our stock picks here? I mean, like you said, it's a it's a pretty exciting time and you know, that's pretty impressive that I actually didn't even as the marketing guy, I didn't know that all all six have, have outperformed or all five this year have outperformed. So that's pretty great.
0: Yeah. And like, like you said, JT, I mean, we've taken all the risk off the table, you know, $1 for the first week of 7investing to see all the recommendations. If you love it and you want to stick around, we would love to have you for the investing journey. And if you don't, then at least come in and check out our scorecards so you can see the stocks we're talking about. We do have our new recommendations that came out just this morning. I won't disclose any of them, except for like we said, so far, I was with Steve's pick, but just to briefly kind of give the one-liner overview of them, Matt went with a company that is really going to be hitting a point of inflection for driving free cash flow right now. They've made a lot of investments that are paying off, and they're getting free cash flow that's going to benefit from that. Kristoff went with an asymmetric bet, is what he called it. This was one that was <laughs> a small cap. Yes. Uh, oh, sorry.
2: Steve, are you there? Yes, yeah, sorry. Asymmetric indeed. Go ahead. <laughs>
0: Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and uh, asymmetric bag is a small cap, but it's one that's got kind of a point of inflection. He was excited about. Dana, who is our biotechnology expert. She's the one with the PhD from biochemistry. I went with a gene therapy delivery system as her pick. It was another small cap kind of biotech pick one that a lot of people wouldn't be looking at normally, but Dana has found a, a gym that just got an important FDA approval. A Nirbon looked internationally. He's looking at an international payments provider. That's allowing a lot of retailers to expand internationally. A lot of turmoil on this stock, but a near bond is very, very comfortable with the risks, and we recommended this for our scorecard this month. And then Luke has has picked a, a company with direct exposure to utility scale power. This is a trend that is for real. Batteries are for real. You know, utility scale is looking at renewable energy sources, but you've got to have a way to back that up for the grid. And this is one of the most important picks and shovel players that that's providing for that trend that Luke went with this month, see, we already discussed his, and then Simon Erickson, you know, myself, I went with a company that's a semiconductor company, but is looking at things very differently than the traditional chip makers, specifically one that's going to be serving the electric vehicle market, which is huge, which is huge and getting even larger in the next couple of years. So a real quick tease on, you know, the seven picks that we made. That we just published this morning i'm excited about every single one of them i told my team one, one last thing i want to say about this jt because i never say this well i rarely say this and not that i never say this but i rarely say this to the team but i said this month i think this is one of the strongest cohorts of picks we've ever made and like you mentioned it's across all the the risk level continuum we've got some very very high risks in there and we've got some moderate risks in there We we want to pass the torch to our subscribers to pick what's the right risk and what's the right company for, for them. And, and I think that's kind of the value of 7investing. So new picks went live this morning. Pretty excited about them.
1: That's right. They went live this morning. So go and check them out, 7investing.com slash subscribe. And if you want to get our free special re- report on SoFi, you can get that at 7 Well, two places. You get it on the homepage. It's right there front and center. You can just type in your email and you get it. Also, 7 slash fintech. If you want more, and you'll actually get to see Simon. He's got a couple of videos there on that one to describing the pick and, and why we decided to release it here publicly. So that's seveninvesting.com slash fintech. That wraps it up for this morning's spaces, which will be this afternoon's podcast. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. We will continue to address these comments and questions that you have on our Twitter at seven investing. You can also find us on our community forum, which has, we have links on through our Twitter at 7investing. So I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of discussion on the new recommendations in our forum. So I'm going to get back to that, which is really exciting. So for Simon Erickson and Steve Symington and the rest of the lead advisors here at 7investing, I'm JT Street. Thank you so much for listening to us today. And we empower you to invest in your future. We are 7investing. Have a good day, everyone.